Where you are. Man, glad you're here. It's good to be in the Lord's house, right? Oh, what's a little rain? I'm, I'm glad none of y'all melted out there as you walked in from the parking lot. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 12. Uh, I began this summer not planning on preaching out of the book of Jeremiah, but on July 1st, I preached a sermon uh, to our church and America from the book of Jeremiah, and I've just, I'm just hanging. I'm hanging with Jeremiah this summer, and uh, today we're going to talk about being worn out, and it looks like many of y'all are there. So as you're turning there, let me quickly remind you what's happening in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the people of God, okay, the Israelites, the, the Old Testament church, had literally turned their backs on God and their faces toward worthless idols. And they were worshiping these idols made out of wood and stone. In fact, one of the verses in Jeremiah said that here's what the people were doing. Here's what the church was doing. They were stay, saying to a stick of wood, you are my father. <laughs> Sounds like something in Star Wars, isn't it? You are my father. And to a stone they were saying, you gave me birth. And they were worshiping these worthless idols. Of course, this is greatly disturbed God that his people were doing that because he told them throughout the Old Testament, don't make idols, don't worship worthless idols. In fact, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, have to do with idol worship, worshiping something more than God, loving something else more than you love God. And so God had to discipline his children. And this was God's plan on disciplining them. He was allowing the Babylonians to come in from the north and they would eventually destroy all of Jerusalem and take the people into captivity. And God has called Jeremiah to announce all of this to his people. You can only imagine that this isn't a popular message and that Jeremiah is hated by the religious leaders because of what he was preaching. But not only that, he was hated by everybody else. Everybody in town was mad at Jeremiah, even his own family. But Jeremiah is faithful. He is faithful to God and he is faithful to tell the message God had given to him. But that's a heavy load. It really is. When everybody has turned their back on not only God but you... And no one is responding to what you're preaching, it can get very discouraging. And so Jeremiah's hit one of the darkest moments of his life. Yes, even righteous, godly, faithful servants of the Lord can hit rock bottom at times. And that is exactly where we find Jeremiah in chapter 12. So let's read this discussion between Jeremiah and God. First, Jeremiah speaks to the Lord. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. He says, You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. And what, what a great affirmation. What a great way to start a conversation with God. God, you're always righteous. I have found you right. Whenever I bring something before you, you are a righteous and holy and just God. Could we say amen to that, church? Amen. He goes on and says, Yet... Yet, Lord, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Now, we're going to come back and talk about this in a moment, but have you ever wondered that yourself? 
Why are faithless people prospering? Why are the wicked people still around here? I, I, I don't understand it, God. You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. I, that could be said about a lot of Christians today, couldn't it? A lot of people coming to church on Sunday morning could be said, you know, God, you're on their lips, but you're really far from their heart. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and you test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. So that's what Jeremiah said to God. Now God is going to reply and talk to Jeremiah. He says in verse 5, Jeremiah, if you had raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, even members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. So Jeremiah, don't trust them. Even though they may speak well of you, don't listen to it. Because they're trying to kill you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this word and uh, use it to speak to our hearts today. Help us, dear Lord, to develop spiritual durability even when we're worn out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, you're, you're wondering, preacher, why, why that passage? I mean, you got the whole book of Jeremiah. Why, why that passage? Well, I think God has a word for us today. And I want to try to share that word to you about being worn out. Because that is Jeremiah's condition as described in verse 5. He was flat worn out. Another translation uses the word he was wearied. Jeremiah is utterly exhausted. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. He is spent. So look at me church, look at me. How many of you can identify with Jeremiah? I mean, raise your hand if you've ever been worn out. Not worn out, but, but I mean just worn out, right? Just flat worn Looks like some of us are that way today. Spent this past week at the national meeting. Had a great meeting. Everything was awesome. Uh, great preaching. Good business session. But let me tell you, it wore me out. I mean, sitting in endless meetings, listening to endless reports wears me out. I, I just don't have that kind of, I, I can't stay attentive that long, really. I can't stay engaged. I'm good for maybe 30 minutes, but then I need to do something else. But I mean, it just, it flat wore me out. Like this picture right here. I felt like that. <laughs> Bless her heart. Isn't that great? I mean, she's just been playing so hard, and she got worn out, so she just said, the reason I picked that picture is because literally, no lie, I have had the dream that I was up here preaching, and I just, <laughs> not worn out, I died right there, but man, I, I feel like, I, but I also feel like this right here, you know, 
I mean, have you ever been so tired that you just, you can't even make it from the couch to the bed? Huh? Because you're worn out? Mom, it reminded me, back when Granddad Whitmire was alive, I'd call him, talk to him, and, and uh, ask him how he was. And he oh, I'm great. He said, I stayed up last night till midnight. Didn't go to bed till midnight. Well, come to find out what he did, he fell asleep in his recliner at 8 o'clock. And he woke, Tim, he woke up at midnight and went to bed, all right? But I've been, I can identify because half the time I'm worn out. How about you? We can identify with that. So today I want to talk about being worn out and what God is up to in our life. In fact, let's just sit down and listen to this conversation between God and Jeremiah to see how we can develop what I'm calling spiritual durability. I mean, how in the world do you remain strong for the Lord when you're ready to give up and give in because you're living in a world that has literally turned its back on God? Well, the first thing that we need to remember is this. We need to understand that God's call on our life is demanding. Look at me. God's call on your life. Whatever God has called you to do, it is a demanding call. Just because you have committed your life to the Lord does not mean that all of your troubles and trials and persecution and suffering go away. In fact, sometimes they intensify simply because you have given your life to the Lord Jesus. Some of these trials come to us simply because we live in a fallen world that is full of suffering. And for Jeremiah, this was very personal and it was also very painful. You see, he had discovered that some of his own townspeople and even some of his own family were so unhappy with the message that God gave Jeremiah to speak that they were plotting to kill him. Go back to chapter 11, verse 18. Jeremiah says, Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at the time he showed me what they were doing, I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying... Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. And so here's, O Jeremiah, both worn out and worn down by all of the opposition that was coming into his life. And to be honest, he was feeling a little bit sorry for himself. You know what? I can't blame him. Can you? Because we've all been there. He he is thinking to himself, how could faithfulness to God result in the hardships that I'm facing in my life? Why does life have to be so cotton-picking hard? Church, let me remind you that Jesus promised that in this world we would have persecution. It it is part and parcel for living in this world. And it's also part and parcel in being a follower of Jesus Christ. We will have tribulation and we will have trouble. But we should take courage in the fact that our God has overcome this world. 
and that in Jesus Christ, we are overcomers as well. You see, faithfulness to God is going to get you into hot water <laughs> sooner or later. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ is going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. Uh, I guess it was Tuesday night at the National. A good friend of mine, Mike Cousineau, preached. Uh, I knew his wife, Deline, because she was from Odessa, Texas, and I grew up in Midland, Texas. Uh, Mike and Deline are several years older than me, but I've, I've known them ever since I was a little kid. Mike grew up as a missionary kid in the Ivory Coast, and God spoke to him and called him and Deline back to the Ivory Coast, and they have been missionaries basically their entire life. Mike preached on Tuesday night a sermon talking about suffering, that Christians are going to suffer. And church, let me tell you, at the end of his message, I, I, I don't, usually don't do this, but the, at the end of his message, I felt so convicted by God that I needed to go down to the altar and pray that I, I, I did. I just obeyed God, and I went down to the altar at the National Association, and I laid my life before God and prayed to him. Why? Well, it was that message about suffering. Mike, Mike told us what we all think is that we, we want a life without suffering. And, and sometimes we think that being a Christian, as a Christian, we deserve not to suffer. I mean, if we follow Jesus, why, I mean, why would we have to suffer? Why would our kids have to suffer? He said what we really want is a safe life. And we do, don't we? I mean, every day I pray for the safety of my children. I pray that God keep them safe. I want to be safe, not only physically, but I want to be safe financially. Are you there? And, and Mike countered that in his sermon, and he said, that is not found in the Bible. He said, in the Bible it teaches us, if we are believers, we are going to suffer. You mark it down. So it's, it's, it's wrong to think... We, we shouldn't suffer. We should be safe. In fact, he said, you, you shouldn't even be praying about that. You should be praying for God's help as you go through suffering. And let me tell you, I was so convicted that I went to the altar and I laid my life before God. And I prayed, Lord, you know, bring me out of my safety net and help me to live out there on the edge like you want me to live. And forget about being safe. And if I have to suffer, it's okay. And yes, Lord, I want to give you all three of my kids and whatever life you call them to live, even if it is in a perilous place. I pray, dear Lord, not for their safety, but for your guidance in their life. And let me tell you, that was a hard prayer for me to pray. But God called me to pray that prayer, and I did it with my heart. And here's the deal. If you're not experiencing hardships for your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to seriously ask yourself if you are really being faithful to Christ. Because he promised us in the word that if we live for him, we're going to have troubles. People don't like it when preachers preach sermons like this. But you know, we need to hear it. It is the truth. So the first lesson is understand the call of God is demanding on your life. It's like one preacher said to me, I mean, if this were easy, everybody would be doing it. 
If this were easy, kids would do it. Well, they can, (laughs) you know. Here's the next lesson we learn in this conversation between Jeremiah and God. Number two, you need to take your complaints to God. To Jeremiah's credit, he just flat out is honest with the Lord about what's going on in his heart and mind. That's an important part of prayer. Notice, however, that all of this is framed in the confidence that Jeremiah has in the Lord and his humble reverence before God. I see that in verse 1. He begins his prayer by saying, You are always righteous, O Lord. Not ever once in a while. Not when you feel like it. You're always righteous. You are a holy and righteous God. And when I bring a case before you, I know you're going to do the right thing. Because you're a holy God. It, it, it reminded me of Job. This conversation between Jeremiah and God reminded me of Job. He wrestled with some of these same issues. He was afflicted more than any of us could ever imagine. And yet in it all, the Bible says that Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So as we take our complaints to God... Let us make sure that our complaints are framed in worship and reverent submission to Almighty God. Let me read on in verse 1. He says, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak to you about your justice. And here comes the questions. Number one, why does the way of the wicked prosper? And number two, why do all the faithless live at ease? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, about every night when I turn on the news, I wonder that, you know. Why does the way of the wicked prosper, and why in the world do all the faithless live on easy street? Jeremiah is saying, Lord, I know you are righteous in all of your ways, but here are a couple of things about people I just don't understand. And then Jeremiah pours out his questions to the Lord. Really, all of this started back in chapter 11. Listen to verse number 20. But Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. So literally Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you always judge righteously. You know everything about everyone. I have committed my life to you and my cause to you. So Lord, Why don't you just pour out your judgment on these evil people? And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he pleads, I would speak to you about your justice, Lord. It just isn't fair. I mean, nothing about this is fair, God. They are wicked and they are faithless, but yet they're living the good life. He goes on in verse 2. You've planted them. They've even taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but God, you're far from their hearts. So what Jeremiah is saying is this, Lord, they're nothing but cotton-picking hypocrites. Literally, that's what they were. These were church people who spoke good things out of, oh, yes, we love Yahweh, we love God. But what literally had they done? They had turned their backs on God and their faces to worthless idols. Hmm. 
Why, God? I mean, why? Why don't you do something about it? Verse number three, yet you know me, O Lord. You see me, you test my thoughts about you. So here's what I'd like for you to do, God. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, really. Or, or at least read a prayer like this and said, said to yourself, is it okay to pray like that? I mean, can godly people really pray this way? Reminds me of David in the Psalms. One of his prayers was, Lord, knock their teeth out. Now, be honest. You've thought that, haven't you? What do we do with prayers like this? How do we deal with passages and prayers like this? Well, theologians call them imprecatory prayers. And here's what I know about these kind of prayers. Three things. First of all, it's okay to be honest with the Lord about your questions and your confusion. In fact, you need to take matters to the Lord, not try to handle them on your own. Okay? In other words, you don't need to be the one who knocks their teeth out. You need to take them to the Lord. Are you with me? Second thing is this. Please like this reflect a righteous indignation that is zealous for the glory of God. And that's the way it should be. I mean, honestly, we, Lord, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. How can people live, and not just people, but Christian people. You know what blows my mind, church, is that Christians who act the way they act, I mean, being around ungodly people, you know, I expect it. I expect for ungodly people who are not saved, who don't go to church, I expect them to live the way they live, live like the world, because that's what they are. You know, when they cuss, I, I mean, it bothers me, but it didn't really bother me that much because I know they're of the world. And when I read about all the immorality and, and what they do, I, I understand it because they are of the world. What I can't comprehend is a so-called Christian who does the same thing the world does. Amen. Amen. And it, it honestly ticks me off. Because what are they doing? They're, they're being hypocrites themselves and they're dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. Are you with me? Righteous indignation. But thirdly, ultimately, I have to come back to the real, realization, listen to this, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And you know what? That includes me and that includes you. And if God started acting purely in justice with no mercy, I would be consumed with everybody else. Because all have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. But I understand Jeremiah is not there yet. He's asking the why questions. God, why are these wicked people still around? Why are they living the easy life? And then he asks the how long question, verse number four. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, God's not even going to see what happens to us. So all of this famine and drought have come upon the land because God had promised through the covenant to the people of Israel that there would be consequences 
if they followed after these idols and turned their backs to God. And Jeremiah would like for God to do something about it right now. And he's questioning the timing of God. Why is judgment so slow in coming, Lord? Why are you dragging your feet? Why don't you deal with them right now? God, they're mocking your name. They don't think that you're going to do anything about it. So Jeremiah's heart is literally exploding with all of these questions. Why does life have to be so hard for faithful, godly people? Why does it seem that evil people have it so easy? How long before you make things right, God? That's Jeremiah's conversation with the Lord. Now God speaks back to Jeremiah. But he doesn't answer Jeremiah's questions. In in fact, he does something totally different. Look at verse 5. He said, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? So here's what's happening here. Jeremiah has all of these deep questions. Honestly, they're they're theological questions that he can't sort with the righteousness and holiness and justice of God. God, how can you tolerate this evilness from your people? Why why aren't you doing something about it right now, God? That's what I want to know. Why aren't you judging them right now? But then when God speaks to Jeremiah, he doesn't even talk about that. He said... Jeremiah, tell you what, tell you what, bud, let's talk about you. Don't you hate it when God does that? I mean, I can relate. I'm feeling holy, righteous, you know, have a little bit of spiritual piety. Lord, when will you deal with these cotton-picking people? And then God says, well, good question. Let's talk about you. And that brings us to point number three. We need to allow God to train us for greater effectiveness. You see, God doesn't owe anybody any explanation, does he? But he is using these circumstances and this treachery and this betrayal and these hardships to show Jeremiah something about himself. And in verse number 5, the Lord uses a couple of images to drive home this truth for Jeremiah. Now, the the first image that he uses is likening Jeremiah to a foot soldier that is in battle. And he's trying to keep up with other foot soldiers. And so here's what the Lord said to him. Jeremiah, if you can't keep up with the foot soldiers, what in the world are you going to do when the battle really gets heated up and you have to hang with the horses? That's a whole new perspective, isn't it? I mean, if you can't keep up with people, how how are you going to keep up with the horses? In other words, God said, Jeremiah, I've got greater things in store for you. And if you've been worn out by these circumstances, how in the world are you going to be able to handle the more demanding challenges that I have for you to accomplish? Jeremiah, you need to develop some spiritual durability. Because listen, dude, it's not going to get easier. 
It's about to get harder. And if that wasn't enough, God uses another image. This is of of running in a wide open country as opposed to running in, in an area that is full of brush and thickets. The Lord said, Jeremiah... If you stumble and fall in the wide open country where the ground is relatively smooth and there are very few obstacles, what is going to happen when I call you to run in the thick brush that is around the Jordan River? Are you only going to be faithful to me when everything is smooth and easy and on a downhill slide? Listen, buddy, I've got greater challenges ahead for you. And Jeremiah, I know this is hard. But it's about to get harder. Now, I'm sure this is not exactly the kind of comfort Jeremiah was wanting from God. (laughs) But the Lord isn't finished with the lesson. The Lord goes on and says something else. And if if, if that wasn't enough, verse 5, what is enough? He added verse 6 to it. Jeremiah, don't quit because the worst is yet to come. Verse 6, your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. So Jeremiah, don't trust them. Though they may speak well of you, don't listen to it because they're plotting against you. I think the lesson is this, church. Your worth, look at me, your worth is not found in what other people think about you or say about you. Your worth is found in what God thinks about you and what God says about you. So commit your way, your cause to Him. Should we be able to trust What other people say about us and say to us, yes, we should, but the best of humans are humans at best. And sooner or later, they're going to fail us. But if your ultimate trust is in the Lord, well, that's okay. Because he is the one we need to be trusting. You see, God uses trials and adversities to train us for greater effectiveness and for a stronger faith. So every difficulty you go through is for a purpose. God was training Jeremiah. He was raising him up. He was building his faith, his perseverance. And he's saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't don't fail me now. Don't fall out on me now because this is only stage one. You're about to get to stage two of your training and it's even going to be tougher. So hang in there, buddy. And I'll do something with you. That's where James chapter one comes in. Remember what James said? James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what, church? Perseverance. Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We love that verse, don't we? We love to read it. Say amen to it, but we don't like to flesh it out. 
Because let me tell you, perseverance is a tough lesson to learn. Uh, I've got this date written down in two calendars, Wednesday, April the 16th, 2014. As a little over four years ago, like four years and three months ago. Why, why is that date important? Well, it marked a change in my personal life. Uh, a couple of months before that, uh, I had several things kind of going wrong with me physically. I mean, I had a long laundry list of all the problems I was having in my body. And I told Angie, you know, babe, instead of going to the doctor, I think I'm just going to go to a veterinarian. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? You know, because they can just fix everything, you know. So, but anyway, I went to the doctor. I gave him my list, and he did all kinds of blood work on me and checked me out, gave me a total physical. Had to come back a, about a week later when the blood work came in, and, and he, he was going to do all these things and everything. But then he looked at me, and he said, Will, here's what you need to do more than anything. You need to eat right, and you need to start exercising. Now, I think I've told some of you this story before. Can I tell you, that ticked me off. I mean, it really did. I, I mean, I got mad right then. I did. I got mad because I thought I was eating right. And I thought I was in pretty good shape. That's what I thought. So I went home. And you know what I did? Yeah. <laughs> So you said, you ate. Yeah, I did. I ate. But I did nothing. I sat on that for about three months because I'm pretty hard-headed and pretty stubborn. And, you know, it, it had to get into my system that, you know what, he may have a point here. Because even though Angie is all about health and she, she cooks healthy and we eat healthy meals, I would cheat. Not on her. I would cheat in what I ate. I'd go out and eat junk that I shouldn't be eating. And literally for years, I had not been exercising like I really know that I should exercise. And so I decided, made the decision, Wednesday, April the 16th, 2014, I would start exercising that day. Now, Jason, I made a list of things I could do. I could run. I could ride bikes. I could do aerobic stuff. But I don't like any of those. I mean, I hate that kind of stuff. The one thing, Brent, that I used to do that I kind of enjoy is lift weights. So I decided I'm going to lift weights. So I came across this program. It's called a 5 by 5 program. Three days a week, you lifted weights with the old-fashioned way, barbell and plates, okay? You do, you do five different exercises, uh, Squat, deadlift, bench press, back row, and military press. You start off with the bar. You're doing five sets, five reps of five sets of those exercises. But every day when you go back, three times a week, every day when you come back to exercise, you add five pounds to the bar. Okay? Well, that's not, it's no big deal to begin with. The bar just weighs 45 pounds. So I was doing okay for the first week. And then as you continue to add that weight, man, I'm telling you, I was sore for six months, but I stayed with it. I, I pushed through the soreness. I would, take, I would take hot baths about every night to try to ease these old muscles, but I stuck with it. And here's, I got to point to all this. That's been four years and three months ago. Since then, for four years and three months, every single week, I've worked out. I do it in my garage. 
Sometimes just three days a week, but at least three days a week. Most of the time, I do it six days a week. Why? Because I get obsessive about the things that I do. I just go out there and do it. Okay? Now, again, i got to point to this. I've learned a few lessons over four years and three months of lifting weights. And the first lesson is this. It's best to have a goal in front of you. Something that you're working for. And if you reach that goal, then you need to set another goal. But you always have a reason for going out there and lifting weights because it's hard. And you really don't want to do it. But if you've got a goal, you can motivate yourself to go out there and do it. Y'all could care less about this. There is a point to it. I mean, so I had these goals. Brent, when I first started, I thought... Dude, I just, I, I really, I've never been real strong, but I wanted to, I wanted to bench press 225 pounds, because that's the mark right there, 225. That's the strength test that the NFL uses to, to gauge how much you could actually bench press. They got a formula to use. I said, I'd love, but I was benching 45 pounds. <laughs> so my goal was one, and then I reached that goal, and then it was 10, and then it was 15. I had another goal of doing body weight pull-ups. Now, when I was a little kid, I was skinny and scrawny, and I could do more pull-ups than anybody in school. But now I weigh 240 pounds. Have you tried to pull up 200? It's hard to do. And so my goal was to do 10 body weight pull-ups. Then my goal was to, to, to be able to deadlift twice my body weight. Dude, let me, when you get old, it's hard to do stuff like that. But I've always had these goals, and I set new goals. You've got to have goals. Point number two is this. Here's what I've learned. You've got to push your body. You've got to push your body. The body that God gave us is amazing. Our bodies has this amazing capacity for growth, but you've got to push your body because your body doesn't want to do it. Come on. Even if you're not listening to this, say, okay, yeah. Here's what my body would rather be doing. It would rather be on the couch eating a cheeseburger, drinking a milkshake. So I've got to push my body. Number three, you've got to persevere. You can't stop. You can't quit. You've got to keep going. Even when you're sick, you've got to go out there and lift weights. Even when, even when it's 108 degrees outside and 92 degrees in my garage, you got to persevere. you got to keep on going. Come on. Wednesday night at the National, I uh, came across this young man. That's, uh, he, he's become a good friend of mine. Uh, he's probably 25 years old, building a church in Virginia. I mean, he's the whole package. This, this young guy is handsome. He is a sharp dresser. He is a great preacher. He's, he's a magnet. People want to be around him. His church is exploding and growing. I love this young man. And we were passing each other in the hallway, and he, he stopped me and said, Brother Will, he said, dude, I just got to tell you this. When I get as old as you, <laughs> dude, he lost me right there. He said, man, when I get as old as you, I, I, man, I just, I hope, I hope that I look as good as you and I'm as fit as you. He said, how do you do it? And I was pretty ticked off at him because he called me old, but I said, two words, hard work and discipline. It's called perseverance. 
You just got to keep pushing through. Here's the thing about perseverance. Perseverance is only built by long-term exposure to pain and strain. But that's the way we persevere. And God has called us to persevere. What is He building in our life? Perseverance. How does He build perseverance? Through long-term exposure to pain and strain. So let me take all these lessons I've learned by lifting weights the last four years and, and put them in spiritual terms. I do have a goal. I've got a goal for my life. And my goal in my life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. More than anything else, I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus and be like Jesus. When people squeeze me, I want Jesus to come out of me. But you know what? For that to happen, <laughs> dude, I got to push myself. Because I'm not comfortable in some of these situations. In fact, here's what I would rather do. I would rather just be happy and wealthy and, and have no pain in my life and everything go my way. But you know what? If life was really like that, none of this makes sense, does it? But life is not that way. Life is tough. It's brutal out there. So I understand my goal is to be like Jesus. So I have to push myself to be like him. And I've got to persevere. I've got a person. I can't stop. I can't let off the gas one second of one day. Every day I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus. And my mind has to be engaged in living for Jesus. My heart has to be in the Word of God. O.S. Hawkins is the... Uh, President and CEO of Guidestone. Guidestone is a company in Dallas, Texas that used to be, what they used to be is the annuity board for the Southern Baptist denomination. That is, they take the retirement for Southern Baptist preachers and invest that money. And they changed the name a few years ago to Guidestone. Uh, they, they have grown. Now they do insurance and all other kinds of things. It's, it's a huge company in downtown Dallas, and our son-in-law, Tyler, went to work for them a few months ago, and that's why Whitney and Tyler moved to, to Dallas. He works for this Christian uh, organization called Guidestone. O.S. Hawkins is the president of Guidestone. He's 70 years old now. I think he's about to retire and phase out, but let me tell you, O.S. Hawkins is one of the greatest Southern Baptist preachers of our generation. He even pastored First Baptist Dallas after W.A. Criswell left. Great man of God, great preacher. Tyler tells me, he says, my favorite day at work is on Mondays because uh, we have this big meeting and all, all the employees, close to a thousand of them, come together in this big room and O.S. Hawkins gives them a devotion for the week. And Tyler says, this guy's awesome, man. And I, I've heard him preach. He is a great preacher. Written a bunch of books. One book is called The James Code. And here's what O.S. Hawkins says. Here we are in the race of life. We aren't at the starting line, nor are we at the finishing tape. We're somewhere in the middle. When running a race, the start is always filled with such enthusiasm and energy. The finish holds such promise as we run the final stretch and finally reach our goal. 
But the middle of the race, when we're a long way from the start and we're not sure how far away the finish might be, that's when we're tested. And isn't that the truth? That's where Jeremiah was. He wasn't at the start. He wasn't at the finish. He was right in the middle. And he was being tested. People hated his guts. His own family was trying to kill him. Wickedness was prevailing. The church was living in hypocrisy. They had turned their backs on God and their faces to idols. And Jeremiah is throwing up his hands and said, Lord, I just can't deal with this anymore. How in the world can you let this continue to go on? Lord, why don't you do something about it? <laughs> and God said, Jeremiah, I am. I'm doing something about it because I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And justice will prevail. But Jeremiah, let's talk about you, dude. I've got bigger things for you. But, but you can't be wallering around in self-pity and crying because I want you to be running with horses and I'm going to send you through some thickets that if you're not faithful to me they're going to tear your hide off so let's pull ourselves up Jeremiah and let's do this together so I don't know what it is with you today it, it may be a, a marriage that is unfulfilling it may be a job that you hate it could be a health issue that just won't go away. I mean, it could be just your life, okay? Your life has gone bad. Hang in there, man. Can, can I tell you something? God is not going to put more on you than you can handle with His help. Are you with me? And what God is doing in you through this suffering is creating something inside of you that this world doesn't have or even know about. It's called Christian perseverance. And by the way, the Bible says, those who persevere till the end shall receive a crown of life. So dude, hang in there, man. Hang in there. Keep going. Don't give up. And this morning... <laughs> Probably be good for you to come down here and ask God.